The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. We bring you some of the best interviews from the past week and beyond right here in a nice little package, an hour-long package for your weekend review. How's that for you? Today we talk with Kimberly Wirtz with Balmore's Low about some of the current water issues in Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico shale plays. In fact, she says water is the new frac sand, meaning it's the hottest market going right now, and she's got all kinds of issues. She talks about some of the water rights. Uh, selling, you know, farmers in Texas right now, they're actually finding it more economical to sell the water that they've got the rights to to the oil companies as opposed to irrigating it for crops. So she talks a little bit about how that's changing the dynamic of things down there. And then we talk about the government water services encroaching into several states' private business. Joe Dancy, he's an energy expert and educator, gives an update from the Interstate Oil and Gas Conservation Commission in Oklahoma City. That's where they talk about rules and regulations and drones and pipelines and big data and all kinds of different things so he gives us an update from that plus much much more on today's episode of the multimedia cafe week in review my name is jason spies and let's get right into kimberly wirtz with ball morse low kimberly wirtz with ball morse low and i'm an attorney thank you for joining the program today a few reasons to have you on the program, so thank you very much. One is a little update from the IOGCC, which is uh, Interstate Oil Gas Commerce Commission, Commission Commerce Conference. I don't know. There's too many Cs. I get kind of mixed up. That's why you're on here to help me out. And then we'll talk a little bit about some water commission. issues. Compact Commission. Thank you very much. Yeah. See, sometimes even, you know, us hosts, we get a little bit overwhelmed with all the acronyms out there. And what was the one I saw oh, yeah. today? Uh, what was it? FOMO? FOGO? Uh, it's basically millennials. Are, they, they don't want to miss anything. Fear of missing out. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Oh, and I learned a new one. Yeah, they're, they're blaming their lack of retirement and... Um, you know, paying off bills and getting deeper in debt because they just don't want to miss anything. And I and I was thinking, I remember that too, but that was more like when my parents were having conversations with their friends. I'd be at the edge of the stairwell listening because I didn't want to miss out on anything, or I'd be the last one awake at a sleepover because I didn't want to miss out on anything. I guess I never thought about, you know, yeah. going to Fiji. You know, I should have done that. <laughs> No, I was more concerned as why are my friends all at a different um, lunch table and what are they talking about without me? I'm missing yeah, out. Right, and so, so the, the, the fear of missing out has evolved, and that's what I'm getting at, I yeah. guess. So, <laughs> uh, Maybe we should transition into water right now for that, and we'll get to, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to the uh, IOGCC OGCC in just a minute, but uh, water really has evolved, and I had Jeff Simon on with the 
Western Dakota Energy Association, and he actually said one of the pieces of legislation came out of the recent session in North Dakota up in the Bakken as kind of a sleeper issue. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, oh, the Permian came out with a study, and I think they need like seven or 10 times or 20 times more water, and the Bakken had a similar study to that. Shale plays are finding out they need a lot more water than before. Farm owners now right. are finding out a way to profit by selling their water yeah. rights to oil companies. So water is water, water everywhere. Let's all have a drink and sell it, I guess. So it's, it's the new it's the new frac sand. You know, it was just a few years ago we were all scrambling on how we could get our hands on just that right, you know, mixture of frac sand and today it's now what can we do with all this water that we don't have? <laughs> so what type of things are you seeing from an attorney standpoint, from a legal standpoint? I mean, we've had Josh Swanson on with Vogel Law Firm up in North Dakota talking about how he sees a lot of work with like uh, saltwater disposal units and, and permits and that sort of thing. So you never know how an attorney gets involved in the oil and gas industry. So I absolutely love having attorneys on because a lot of times they're on the ground floor of things. You know, they're the ones that get the motion going. Yes, and saltwater disposal is a huge issue in Oklahoma that we deal with. Um, and we also deal with it, you know, because of our recent seismic activity. But that's one area that we're on that we're, you know, as attorneys, we're on the ground for. We have to respond to protests and different permits and different regulation filings um, here in Oklahoma. It's the same situation, I think, for attorneys in Texas and New Mexico right now who are also dealing with, you know, disposal and seismic activity. So I think that's a, a really big, hot, hot issue right now. Um, are you seeing a lot of the seismic activity? You know, there's the, the the industry is a little bit leery of talking about it because it's 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 scary. No, nobody really knows what yeah. to think of it. You know, I mean, nobody knows how to what, what to do quite yet, or if it's even as obvious as the blame should be. And you know what I mean by that, where there it's it's almost people are afraid to stick their foot in their mouth. Right, and and that's that's fair. Um, in Oklahoma, yes, we have kind of a proven track record here, you can actually go to earthquakes.ok.gov and they've done a full study on, you know, you can pull up an earthquake map and see all of the different um, earthquakes that have hit different regions. And then you can also see how Oklahoma as a state has responded and what they've done. And they've been able to really identify some trigger issues and with different regulations and different other um, mechanisms in place, we have seen our seismic activity drop dramatically just in the past year or so. So we went, I was trying to see if I could pull up the map to give you an idea of the numbers we were looking at. Um, let's look at the earthquakes in 2014. Uh, looks like, you know, the map just blows up. It's probably maybe over 100. Um, and then when you do it for just like the past seven days, there's none. And then if you look at 2019 on the map, there's maybe four. And so when you look at the difference in from when we didn't have the regulations to today, when we do have these regulations in place, it's, it's a drastic decrease. Now, what's recently occurred that we're kind of keeping an eye on, we've kind of been known for our seismic activity and, and possible links to um, the disposal or other, you know, some people think frack, some people don't. It just really depends on who you talk to. But what we've been keeping an eye on is the Delaware. 
the Delaware has recently started, you know, there's rumors on the ground that we've had, you know, earthquakes are getting triggered down there. And again, a lot of people are pointing to the disposal. I think the difference there is that with the formations, it's hard to pinpoint and say, we know for sure that this activity caused this seismic activity. You know, we know for sure that disposing here in this formation caused these, this area of the ground to shake. It's very hard to prove that. And then the formations in Oklahoma may not be the exact same as the formations in the Delaware. So it's kind of hard to draw a, a hard line comparison, but it's kind of also hard to ignore it. Kimberly Wirtz, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Kimberly Wirtz, an attorney with Ball Morse Low. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Kimberly Wirtz with Ball Morse Low. Yeah, what we have, we've actually seen several, um, kind of as you mentioned earlier, surface owners sort of abandoning their surface operations and instead selling their water resource to you know, either oil and gas operators or even to um, like a third-party water company. Um, when I've talked to several, you know, clients on the ground, it's it may it's when you put the dollars in place, it makes sense. They're killing themselves trying to irrigate crops. And so let's look at the Permian Basin, where you know, and the Delaware is as well. The Delaware Basin as well. You're right in the big fat middle of like the Chihuahuan Desert down there. So irrigate for crops or, you know, pulling up the water resource for even livestock can be tedious. When you could instead turn around and just sell this water resource to an operator who's going to then come in and do all the hard work, they're going to come put in the well and they're going to pump the water and they're going to truck it off and you just can kind of sit back and collect a check. So five years ago, I would have said this would have never been profitable. We would have not, you know, encouraged this. We would have encouraged everyone, hold on to your water supply. You never know when you're going to get it back. Today, water is in such a high demand in that area that the clients 
is capable of making, you know, a profit from their water resource more over than what they're making on their surface operations. So that's been an interesting thing to kind of develop and to work with the transactions. You know, you can work with either selling the water, leasing the water, um, and then, you, you know, down there in the Permian where you have so many owners that still their surface is still attached to their mineral state. In other words, they've never sold off the minerals and they've kept it all. For them, they say, well, I I think I should also be making money whenever you produce my water, when you're producing my oil. So it's become a very competitive market for the resource above and beyond what the the oil and gas resources has created. Has there been any government encroachment on that Resource. The reason I ask is it's happened in North Dakota. We've had uh, independent, there's an, actually an independent water commission that was created because uh, the uh, state created a kind of a uh, regional munis- municipality. It's, it's one of those quasi-government slash for the best interest private type thing. Um, right. And it's a water company. And there's a lot of good. Yeah. There's a lot of good behind it because it brings water to a lot of places. But at the same time, right. it's been taking out businesses left and right of these farmers that have been selling uh, water to the to the energy companies. And so, and it's gotten really cutthroat to where like the the state is getting like exclusive contracts with Continental Resources and things like that. So it's just totally cutting out these independent guys. Is that happening? Right. Yeah, and it's a Hatfield-McCoy situation out there, and so it's, like, really difficult because you've got lobbyists and political parties and money and, I mean, it, you know, engineering firms, and so people are really afraid to even take sides on that and, and stick up for whoever and that sort of thing. Is any of that happening down in the Permian, Oklahoma area, that sort of thing? Because it's, it's really, I mean, you don't have to do a very hard Google search to find articles on what I just t- talked about. So um, I, I'm not like, you know, I'm not disclosing a big giant secret here. It's just one of those things in North Dakota that people just don't talk about because it's right. it, it'll, it'll make too many sides angry. It's sensitive. Well, it is. I mean, when, when an engineering firm creates the project out of, you know, it's, it's something that people knew they needed, but there was only one engineering firm who created the project, only one firm that bid on the project. I think they said it would take like 50 or 70 million. It's over 700 million now with no end in sight. And the engineering firm right. is still making their commission. So that's why people were upset. But the engineering firm was also a very big supporter of the dominant party in in the state. And so that's why nobody would ever say anything. Um, Yeah. And so that's me basically saying uh, politics does dictate some economies. And has that encroachment happened down in Texas or Oklahoma? Or is that, you know, something that you can't even comment on because it's too... It's too heated, too. So it sounds like it's it's well, pretty. Think, it sounds I, like it's pretty new do down there. I, well, I do think it's pretty heated. I do think it kind of depends on which state you're standing in. Okay. Um, from a from a Texas point, it's been very limited involvement. They've tried to encourage through regulations and different um, laws. They, they're trying to encourage through tax incentives, recycling and reuse and things of that nature. But you don't really see a big push, kind of like what you're you're saying has happened in North Dakota. It's it's still very privately uh, managed for the most part in Texas. 
there, you know, that you do have some instances where water conservation districts can can pop up in Texas, and and those can can kind of carve away at some of of what you can do with the water supply. But for the most part, just looking at the state overall, I would say it's, you know, everybody jokes Texas is the wild wild west. It's kind of still the wild wild west there when it comes to the private rights of the water resource. Yeah. Now, if you jump over into to New Mexico you'll see a completely different structure. Um, they have signed a memorandum of understanding with the EPA, the state of New Mexico has, in hopes to recycle, I believe, I think they want to recycle 90% of their produced water. So they want to drastically reduce statewide the amount of fresh water that they're using in the oil and gas industry. And instead, let's just reuse and recycle instead of constantly pulling from our fresh water supplies. In that state goal, that required, I, I don't know if it required, but they reached out to the EPA and said, help us study our water and help us come up with a way we can do this statewide. I think if you look at those two states, their legal structures, you understand a little bit more why it is that way. New Mexico holds water as a public right. In other words, the water is meant to benefit the whole, that being the whole state, all of the people, all of the citizens, the public. In Texas, water is held still as a private right. It generally stays attached to the land. And so I think if you kind of keep those in the back of your mind, it makes sense why Texas would still be trying to privately regulate their own water use while New Mexico is looking at a, from a, a broader statewide, how can we get government help type of, of lenses. And then you take Oklahoma and you step off into it, and it's very strange. It's kind of a, a mix of the two. They tend to, you know, we have the Corporation Commission, we have the Oklahoma Water Resource Board, different entities that are here to kind of guide the process along. But in a way, Oklahoma tends to sit back and kind of watch Texas and New Mexico and say, okay, what are they doing and what are they doing and how can we do what we need to do for our state? So I think when the, the overall big picture, when I talk about, you know, let's get up into the forest view here instead of dropping down into the tree level, from a forest view, I think all three states are responding appropriately based on what their legal structure is, what their regulations call for, and what their citizens are accustomed to, what the culture of the state is used to. So I don't think, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, is, is Oklahoma managing water correctly? Is Texas doing it right? Is New Mexico figured it all out? Well, I say yes to all of those because I think from an individual state point of view, they are all doing what's necessary to try to protect their water supply in their own ways. And that's a good answer, too. I, th I think a lot of people have to realize that when it comes, especially with oil and gas, state to state and even county to county is still the tried basin and true. Basin to basin, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still, even, I mean, yeah, basin to basin and county to county. And uh, I'm sure there's even sub-basin to sub-basin. It's, it's tried and true because there is no magic bullet. There is no magic lasso that, that can kind of blanket the whole thing. It's just, it's too difficult because of all the different geology and physics and math and, and and human beings and everything else. Yeah, and even on a you know even on a human level, I think it's important to remember that you know the the rancher that's plopped in the middle of the Delaware Basin may have a completely different perspective as to his water rights. To listen to the entire conversation with Kimberly Wirtz with Balmore's Low, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitters, YouTubes, all the social media links, 350,000 followers we have. Check out our crudelife.com social media tab and you'll see all the different networks right there. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. We can review. conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator. Joe Dancy with the SMU McGuire Energy Institute. I'm associate director. Thank you for joining the program. A couple of reasons we're going to have you on today, but... I'd like to start off with an update from the interstate oil and gas commerce. Now, there's I-O-G-C-C, so there's an extra C I missed in there. Help me out. Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission. And it's been around since the 30s, is what uh, Governor Marland and the Texas governor and Arkansas and in New Mexico, back in the 30s, we had a big problem. We had the Oklahoma City field came in, barn burner. We had the East Texas oil field came in, barn burner. We had the Seminole oil field came in, barn burner. <laughs> so the price of oil you know, went through the floor, and uh, the governors figured they better get together and 
figure out what to do and they put this organization together and now i think they have 37 or 38 states and the governors are all um the appointed uh point person and they appoint representatives to the uh to the uh commission and we meet twice a year and and quite frankly we meet and we deal with it's regulators it's executives and they got a few academics like myself and so uh Anyway, the, uh, it works really well. We talk about regulatory issues, and uh, we just met in Oklahoma City uh, last week, and we had all the parties were here, and one of the big issues that came up was uh, really a number of issues from North Dakota. Now, North Dakota sort of takes the lead on some of this stuff because, number one, you got some really good regulators up there, and number two, the oil is such a big part of the state. They understand how important it is, but what your governor did um, you've had some pipeline leaks up there. I mean, oil pipelines. And I mean, this is the last five or six or seven years where Jason oil, you know, has leaked for, you know, months before they found the problem. And uh, the governor, they did a big study and found out the North Dakota Industrial Commission figured out that uh, doing the statistics, it's more likely that you or I walking down the street or plowing our field or driving down the county road would find an oil leak than the than the uh, alarm monitors. <laughs> and so the governor of North Dakota, and I can't remember exactly what his name is, but... Doug Burgum. He, yeah, yeah. And he, he essentially jumped in and said, look, you know, this is not working out. We need, you know, we need something that's going to find these leaks much faster. We can't have situations where something leaks for two or three weeks before we find it. Um, and so what they've done is they've got an association of... Uh, industry type folks including i think boeing is involved which is a big player of course north dakota is involved which is a big producing state and what they're doing is on a year-by-year basis they're looking at cutting-edge technologies that uh, can be used to maybe identify oil leaks um before they become an environmental or safety disaster and of course north dakota and we've had this problem in texas too and louisiana and actually alabama and parts uh you get out in the rural areas and, you know, if you have a 40 or 50 year old pipeline, Jason, and it starts to leak, you know, if it's, if it's in the rural areas, it can leak for quite some time before they, especially if it's a small leak and some of the stuff that's happened in North Dakota, they tell me, you know, this one that leaked for a month, it was a quarter size, is a quarter size um, gap. And they think it got, the pipe got hit by lightning. It didn't catch fire, but it, you know, blew out a quarter size piece of uh, pipe and it leaked and, and literally it, it's cost them, I mean, $20 million to remediate. It's somewhere up in the up in North Dakota. But but what they've done, the regulators um, on this, and they call the project is called iPipe. And I don't know why it's iPipe, but it's, you know, it stands for something. And Intelligent so Pipeline Integrity Program. Oh, okay. That, that's that's exactly it. God, you got you got a great memory. I, um, I forgot. It's it's my home state, so I'm pretty familiar with the uh, with the program that you're talking about. We've had uh, some experts on the program here to talk about it. In fact, I'm supposed to be heading up to the Energy Environmental Resource Center this week for a VIP private showing of this particular program, as well as some other ones that you know only a handful of invitation type things have been handed out, but. It, uh, I'm glad to I imagine it was Jay, uh, Elmley down there who was speaking on this. Uh, he has a number of different speakers, and I can't remember. I mean, North Dakota had 
I always bring three or four people, and one is always Lim Helms. Which oh, is, yeah. I know him because he's a regulator. And I've, did, did he start he's off his presentation with a joke? Yeah, he, he starts <laughs> off with the only joke, and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's always stupid, but it's always funny. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy... Um, interviewing uh lynn helms really enjoyed it i've in fact i i can't think of a bad interview i've ever had with him over the years he's been very accessible um doesn't i like it because he doesn't get into the political bombastic language he stays pretty cut and dry but at the same time he does have a sense of humor yeah he does and he and he's very practical and i can tell you you know from a third party from an academic standpoint he he takes a very good regulatory stance where he, you know, he takes a reasonable position that's not outrageous and it's not, you know, totally, um, you know, shut everything in and wait 10 years before you figure it out either. He's, he's, he's reasonable and, and that's the position. Of course, you know, he's sometimes he's not the boss, but that's, you know, his general recommendation. So it's always interesting. But I tell you that the technology they have, there's three technologies or, they're talking about one of which uses um, satellite data, and then what they're using is um, machine learning, which is artificial intelligence, uh, to actually see if they can find pipeline leaks. So what they do, apparently the satellite data, and you, you might be more up on this than I am, but apparently the satellite data, they could almost get it in real time. And so when you take a satellite shot today, and then you take another one tomorrow, and you run it through this machine learning database and program, if there's problems, they can actually find, they can actually find leaks. And actually, they tested out the, the software. They actually had a, a, they actually made an a artificial leak to see if the satellite and the, and the uh, software would find it, and it did. I mean, one of the problems, though, that they have with the satellites is, um, in North Dakota, if you have like, you know, two weeks worth of cloudy weather and snow, um, you can't shoot through, you can't shoot through the clouds. So the, the second part of the program is they're going to use drones and drones that are out of line of sight, which is really cutting edge. The, the regulations now say you have to keep your drone within line of sight, which, boy, I tell you what, if you've ever flown a drone if you can see a drone a half mile away, your your eyes are better than mine. It's it's difficult, but they're going to be able to put a drone and they're going to run it down the pipeline, and they should be able to run it, you know, four or five miles down the pipeline, which is about as far as you can go with the electronics uh, signal, and and then use that data instead of satellite data to um, with the artificial intelligence. And so exactly real time, because they, they said, you know, you, you aren't going to have to wait a week or two to find it by. And actually, I asked them, it's been a couple of years ago when the North Dakota study came out. And I asked them, you know, what's wrong with the alarms? Do we have a bunch of incompetent engineers? And they said, well, designing, Jason, an alarm for a pipeline system, you know, natural gas, liquids or crude oil is really difficult. And part of it is because like I said, if you have a quarter size hole and you're just losing a portion of the liquid, I mean, if the entire pipe breaks off in half, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out you got problems because the pressure goes way down in the volume. But if you have a small leak, and apparently most of the leaks are either cracks or they're, you know, they're either cracks or the um, welds fail, but they don't totally fail. They just, you know, you just get a good gusher for, you know, days or weeks or months on end. Um, it's difficult for that sensor to pick up 
a decline in volume or decline in um, or decline in pressure. And they they said it was interesting. And of course, uh, some of the operators they said you know, a lot of those if you put the alarms to be very very sensitive, um, you'll get all these false alarms. And when you get false alarms, the operators they stop. You know, you ignore it because like God, I went out and I checked. 25 times and you know the alarm's way too sensitive so we mr joe dancy i'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second or two we're going to take a quick pause when we come back we'll continue the conversation with joe dancy energy expert and educator my name is jason spies and this is the multimedia cafe we can review well, you can be my little pony i'm gonna be your big stud you can be bugs bunny i'll be hell but i'll follow you Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Last night I went out drinking with my buddies at the press box bar. We drank until we could barely stand up and sang songs and play guitar. Y'all, things got pretty rowdy. I got home about a quarter to four. I promised myself this morning I wasn't drinking anymore. But now I'm back at the bar again Hanging out with all my rowdy friends Getting drunk and singing redneck songs I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator. 25 times and you know the alarm's way too sensitive so we you know we turn it back which is you know again then you have a real real problem and you know you don't get the uh you don't get the reading so anyway that's sort of where they're going and ohio also made a presentation to ohio regulators the oil and gas when i tell you between ohio and north dakota i mean those are the two probably cutting edge states believe it or not and 
Uh, Ohio, you'll love this. They got a drone. Actually, the drone is a $60,000 drone. And then they, on, on it, they, they have attached a $40,000 magnometer. And what they're doing is flying over these old farm fields to find um, these old abandoned wells. And, of course, in North Dakota, you don't have quite the issue because Ohio, they started drilling there in the 1860s. You know, the record, there's no records or, you know, you drilled a hole, you didn't plug it, you just left the casing in. And so um, the Ohio regulators are are using magnometers to find, you know, environmental, you know, where you, you can smell the gas or you can smell the oil or the water is being contaminated and like you can't figure out where it's coming from. Well, they can, they can find the stuff using these. Uh, and, of course, I ask, you know, Jesus, the state of Ohio, because every once in a while, you crash these things or you get, you know, you get caught in a, a, a breeze or, you know, they have mechanical failures. I said, God, you know, you, it's like crashing, you know, a Ferrari almost if you have a hundred thousand dollar vehicle <laughs> or a drone vehicle and you crash it in the farmer's field. Uh, and I, I asked them, are you insured? And they said, well, no, we're not insured. We're the state of Ohio is self-insured. So, and they said, thank God we haven't had a, we haven't had a wreck yet, but it, you know, all the, all the uh, drone pilots in both North Dakota and Ohio, you know, have licenses. They're all certified. Um, and actually, North Dakota, as you noted, you know, is probably well ahead of most other states, including Oklahoma, including Texas, including Louisiana, uh, on the drone on the drone issues. So that's sort of exciting. The other interesting thing with regard to this eye pipe is uh, the other the. the is the other technology besides drones and satellite data is they have these little sensors. They look like golf balls. I mean, literally, they look like a golf ball. And they, you throw it in one end of the pipe, and you pump it on down. And apparently, as it goes down, it will, it will and I, it, they didn't explain it real well, because some of this is proprietary with the company involved. But it will, if there's small leaks, um, they'll be able to figure out jason you know where the leak is and the size of it and part of it's the frequency of the noise and the um again they were pretty cryptic because it's the technology it's a project that is partly state sponsored but on the other hand these companies are reserving the patents and the technology if they figure something out that works real well and so they put these golf balls in at one end you know they pump it down for 20, 10 or 20 miles they take them out and um you know read the data and i don't know whether they you know you get real-time data with those or actually when you pump them out you know you have to download them i they're they're but they look just you know just about the size of uh, you know less than a baseball and a little bigger than a golf ball and they shoot those down your your pipe and uh apparently they've been proven to be real effective too so that's the um those are the three types of uh technologies they're using uh, with regard to the uh, pipeline integrity and it's a huge issue um, the pipeline integrity just because we got a bunch of older pipes as you know I mean North Dakota well also the US year after year I mean we keep producing more and more oil more and more natural gas liquids the lines get longer they you know you've got more and more people building stuff along the pipeline route so you have more and more issues with regard to um, you know, strikes and disruptions. So, uh, in any event, it's a it, it's a pretty cool. It was a pretty cool project you'll hear about, and they talked about it for about an hour with a bunch of slides. So it was it was worth the time. 
Well, and what's going to happen from that, and I think this is part of the reason why they're being cryptic too, your uh, rationales and reasons were also there, but a lot of it is, is this is a technology that is really set up to become big data, big data. And so just the exponentialness of it over the next year is going to be astronomical for the industry. The, the, the information that they're going to be able to extrapolate and layer together uh, it's in such a, a quick fashion is going to be enormous. And that's part of it, too, because they don't know what the end result is yet. They, they know that how theory works and quantum physics and exponentiality when it comes to technology. So they know there's going to be a very good end product uh, as, you know, lo looking through. That's why Hess is involved and Goodnight Midstream. And I'm taking a look at a few of the Oasis and Whiting, yep. One Oak. Yep. You know, I mean, these are yep. these are big companies that are involved with this. And so um, it's it's good to good to hear that they're going to these other conferences and talking about some of this technology. What else came out of there? You mentioned um, there was some, uh, this iPipe and some North Dakota speakers, but how about down in the Permian? Is there any electric fracking talk that came out of this conference? And as far as uh, buzz or was there, was there anything else out of the Permian that you noticed? No, they really didn't talk about electronic fracking. I, it was interesting though. You, we went around the, the they, they go around the table and all the regulators talk about how active things are and what the main problems are. And I was pretty shocked, Jason. The, uh, the, there's a lot of areas, a lot of states that are not real active right now. And most of those, you know, have, you know, a lot of the natural gas plays, obviously. And so. And that was Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. All the social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. The music you heard on today's program is original singer-songwriters performing, some of them live here in studio, some of them some are off their CDs. Go to thecrudelife.com, click on the Musicians tab to check out some of our favorite singer-songwriters, the ones that allow us to use the music, and we love to promote them as well. That's going to do it this week for the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in here on the radio station. Uh, we'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. And for those of you streaming us on the Internet or maybe downloading a podcast on iTunes or one of the other podcast platforms, thank you very much. We appreciate it. are very grateful that you choose the Multimedia Cafe and the Crude Life as part of your content. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. 
the Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 